Welcome to the Good You Can Do podcast, where we share tips and strategies to help you reduce waste, live a healthier life, and protect the planet for future generations. My name is Andrew Duncan, and you can find out more about this project at our website, goodyoucando.com. For everyone listening in, I have the absolute joy of being joined today by James Wilson. James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. James is someone I've wanted to reach out to to interview for a long time uh, after reading his book, Plant Paradigm, a few years ago. And finally, one of those situations where you know, I, I knew I wanted to reach out to you and I overthought it and didn't do it and you know, didn't, didn't want to hassle you, whatever it might be. And then one day I plucked up the courage uh, to to ask and you emailed basically immediately back and said, yep, that's fine, happy to help. <laughs> and just a, a, for me, it was a... a an extra reminder that um, no one can help you in, until you ask, right? Well done. <laughs> so thank you. you. You've written a couple of books, but the one I, I first read, Plant Paradigm, Plant Paradigm, and I'll read the, the header, which was how a meat-eating fourth-generation farmer was tipped into the joys of, of being a vegan, uh, which is quite a, quite a hard-hitting subheading. <laughs> James, I'm going to talk more about that, but you've got an incredible story and probably hard to turn into a, a into a short introduction but would you mind for the sake of the listeners you know introducing yourself i've now just said turned 81 and so in the last 81 years i've, I've lived a, a fairly varied life born and bred on a on a sheep and beef farm became totally in, imbued with the, the so-called value of farming and eating meat and um and then uh, in midlife, various midlife crises, I, I drifted off to get into the computer game in quite a significant way. And then I moved down to Picton. My wife and I moved down to Picton 22 years ago now and pursued some uh, commercial activities down here. But it was and then in the last 12 years, I think 12 years ago, I tipped into being a vegan. I don't know if that's a good enough background, but it's... No, that, that, that's perfect. And And what was the catalyst that tipped you into uh, this whole food, plant-based way of living? Some years before we came to Picton, I had a pulmonary embolism and I had a near-death experience. It was a, a significant event and I thought it was going to change my life. And nothing came of it. <laughs> Once I got over the illness and ailment, I, I, was, I just went back to being the normal person I was. But then when we came down here to Picton, I had another minor embolism. And I had to um, go to hospital. And the, by the time they'd finished with me, they told me I was on warfarin for life. And I was living in the bush. And um, whenever I went near a tree, I'd get scratched and start bleeding. And I felt terrible on warfarin. And various doctors told me that I should get off it because they had had friends that had died from internal bleeding and things like that. So I, um, I was getting quite concerned about it. And I, in fact, said to my wife, I'm going to give up this warfarin. It's not for me. And and she then spread it around her friends, many of whom were nurses, and they said, oh, you'll die if you give up warfarin. It doesn't work. But I gave it up. I thought, to hell with it, I'm going to give up this warfarin. And luckily, and very fortuitously, within um, a few days, Kim Hill was interviewing uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstein, who, who's put a book out, How to reverse heart disease or pure heart disease or something, and showed how by changing my diet, I could avoid having to use warfarin 
and in fact would be a healthier person. So it was just a, a miracle that that happened at the right time. I was scared to help, scared like that I'm going to die. So anything that would stop me dying, and so I, I gave up gave up meat and milk and and started a plant based diet, and, and um, it, it changed my life. I, I was, became much healthier, much stronger, much um, uh, more more active, and um, lost a lot of weight. <laughs> how, how quickly did you start seeing these kind of changes? Oh well, I think they must have gone on for about a year, really. But there were some dramatic ones, like like losing the weight was the weight just fell off me, um, and that that and that was I never expected that to happen. I would I wouldn't say I was overweight, but I was bulky sort of a build, and um, that led me to be able to scarper up and down the hills much better than I could before, and that that manifested itself very quickly. The other one was strength. I, I've realized that I was a lot stronger than I had been before. And um, and then variously, various other things started to expose themselves. And I, amongst those, of course, was getting over the desire to eat meat, which took a long time to get over the desire, the smell of walking past cooking meat or um, not eating eggs. Which I was, I was a gun cook and I could cook eggs any old way and did it beautifully and I was a great meat cooker and, and known for it. And so it was, it was, that was a hard part. But I had given up smoking some years before, so I knew that I knew about giving up something and sticking to it was the only way to do it. But after, after probably a year, I was in a situation where I didn't hanker for meat and I didn't hanker for eggs and I didn't. And that, then well after that, two or three years later, it got to the point where I found eating meat totally distasteful. And then I think I'd... I was right over the hump then, but it did take quite a while. It does take a while, yeah. You know, when when it's been such a when it's such a part of of our lives and our culture and the way we live, and uh, it does take it does take a long time to adjust. I can absolutely relate to that. So that yeah. that first pulmonary embolism that that was well over twenty years ago now. Oh yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And yeah. uh, pulmonary embolism is that like a kind of a blood clotting? For anyone that hasn't heard that yeah. before, is that like a, a blockage? Of some sort. You get a, well, you, you frequently you get a um, a clot in your leg, and it comes up through your groin and up into your heart. And and <laughs> my doctor once told me that it, when it gets to your heart, I don't know if this is true or false, but I, this is what I heard him say: it can get to your heart, and it can either then get into your lung, and you drown in your blood, or the clots, or it goes to your brain. And he said, unfortunately for you, James, it went to your lung, and <laughs> never one. <laughs> Perhaps he should. He wanted me to have a quick death or something. But um, <laughs> anyway, it was. It, it just. I couldn't breathe. I something like fifteen percent of my lung capacity left. Wow. And and so I was, I was on oxygen for a couple of weeks, and so I they gradually got rid of it. And so warfarin is like a blood thinning medication. Yeah. And so that yeah. tries to yeah. stop this from happening again, but but has these other yeah. side effects which make you feel pretty rubbish. Absolutely, absolutely, and and living in the bush, and even even now, I've got to admit that one of my um, main enthusiasms is killing rats and stoats and things like that, which is totally against my vegan um, uh, principles. But I'm, when I'm thinking of the birds, and I'm thinking of how best to, get, to keep them, let them survive, and and warfarin's a very age old means of poisoning rats. So when right. you're on warfarin, you're on it. 
on the edge of, of, of being killed by the damn stuff or, or dying because your blood gets too thin, too thick, rather. <laughs> yeah, constant reminder of, do I really want to put this in my body? This is... <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, when I was on warfarin, I think I had to go to the doctor maybe once a fortnight or something like that and have the levels tested because this, this fear of it being too high or too low. Mm. So, oh, the, the joy of not being on warfarin was wonderful. Yeah, and pretty. having the faith that I wasn't going to die. And so you heard this interview with Cordwell Esselstein, Esselstein who is a really well-known uh, you know, plant doctor, plant uh, whole food plant-based practitioner. And he's, a lot of, he's in a lot of uh, documentaries on Netflix. Uh, I presume he's in like Forks Over Knives and things like that. If people want to see interviews with him, I think he's in that one and there'll be others, but I'll, I'll link to some in the show notes. I feel like a lot of people would still probably hear that interview or, or kind of not be open to that message, um, especially having grown up as a farmer and lived your whole life that way. So uh, what, how, what do you think made you open-minded to, to, to that bigger change in the way you ate and approached life? I, I, think that, I think that I'm, I was so lucky that I was terrified of dying and, um, so I was wide open to something other than getting warfarin. And this interview just turned up totally coincidentally. Um, I think it's still on Radio New Zealand, actually. I think you can still look it up and listen to it. So that's why I was lucky. I was, I was wide open. And I've talked to so many people who say, oh, I could never go up meat, never give up milk or cheese or any of these things. And, and I keep thinking to myself, if only they had a fright, big enough fright for me to be able to walk in the open door and say, Give this a go. And it seldom happens to me because they're either absolutely hidebound on what they're eating and won't change, or the next step is they've, they've had a heart attack or they've got cancer, they've got something, and they're in the medical envelope. One of the writers talks about going into a medical envelope. Mm-hmm. And once they get into this medical envelope and they, they feel that that's their, their salvation, then once again the door's closed. And I can clearly understand that my move to veganism was my little opportunity to get in there. Mm. But so many people are resistant to it either because they're comfortable with what they've got or they transfer into being comfortable with the medical envelope. And in both cases, the door's closed. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Like most of the things that kill us seem to kill us quite slowly and, and don't have that uh, awareness kind of catalyst moment where – you're ready to try anything to to bring about positive change, and, and that's that's a real shame that uh, the hard awakening moments don't happen more often. No, I was, I was, from that point of view, I was very very lucky. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and as you got into you know learning more about the whole food plant based diet, did you find like it was a fairly immediate change, or did you have to kind of you know, give up meat first and then give up cheese and eggs later? And was it a very a gradual process or were you kind of all in from the start? Bold turkey. We threw, we cleaned out the kitchen, threw, away, threw all, the, all the rubbish away yep. and just had to live on on vegetables. <laughs> that was, yeah, it took a while. To, it took a little while to be able to create worthwhile meals. Mm. But I don't recall it as being a hardship. There were stumbling blocks, um, but, but, but no, it wasn't hard. What fascinates me is um, everyone watches what I'm eating. When we, if we go to a restaurant, 
there might be a table of half a dozen of us. They'll all look at the menu to see what I might be able to eat. They're constantly looking at what I want. And I'm perfectly comfortable talking to the chef and organizing a meal for myself. But they always do it. And um, then occasionally, not so much a meal, but I might have a nibble of something off maybe someone else's plate or something, or a little tiny wedge of cheese. And I eat a bit of cheese, something like that. The table erupts. Says, what are you doing that for, James? <laughs> and I have to say, veganism is not a, a religion. And if I eat a bit of cheese, it is not a sin. It's simply, I never, I seldom enjoy it, but I've, I still have got this hankering sometimes. And, and that's not going to hurt me unless I completely give in again and eat mountains of cheese. Uh, for anyone listening to this, if they're potentially kind of interested in trying to, reduce their meat intake or reduce their dairy intake that it's easy in that stage to be in a kind of a defensive zone and be unsure of this sort of big change like this doesn't come from a place of judgment like i I used to be a meatitarian i've eaten so much meat in my life it's it's scary i used to be obsessed with growing a big muscly body which i thought all the girls would like and, and and i would eat scores of chicken thighs every night to try and put muscle on my skinny frame um and so you just try and make good choices, but it's not about being absolutely perfect. And like you say, it's not it's not a religion. It's just uh, trying to make conscious choices each day and, and live by your values, right? Having been a, I mean, I gave up smoking so many times it didn't matter. And and I and I think that I learned from that that a I've got an addictive um, mentality or whatever it is. Um, but b the only way to really give up is to give it up, give the whole hog away. And and that's the only way I think I would have got through it, actually. There, apart from the health benefits, are there other things that the whole food plant-based diet has has given you now that you reflect back on it? Yeah. All I was worried about in the early days was my health, nothing else. But then I did study it an awful lot, and I read a huge number of books and podcasts. And Mind you, in the early 12 years ago, there wasn't that much around, but there was plenty. But and I used to study a lot, and the relationship between veganism and the environment gradually crept into my mental, my thought process. And really, it's a total disgrace that we're eating all this meat. I mean, we're talking about global warming, and and I now, if I step out to where I I am now, I sincerely believe that the the one thing we've all got as individuals to ease back on the global warming is to give up meat. If we all gave up meat. In fact, when I first went vegan, a, a couple of men who worked for the uh, UN wrote to me. I must have I must have written an email to someone, and they wrote to me and said, "Well done for what you're doing." And in those days, they declared that if half the world gave up meat, so this is only twelve years ago, if half the world had gave up meat, then global warming gases would reduce back to pre-industrial age. That's how much effect it would have. So I mean that's a huge effect, isn't it? And it's just a disgrace that we're not actually facing that as a as a as an environmental issue. And of course, in New Zealand, where dairy and meat industry are so predominant, they're doing it, playing every trick in the book to try and keep us eating the damn stuff, mm. which is very unfair. So that grew out of my um, personal health thing, and I'll probably give that now that I'm just coasting along and perfectly healthy. I spend more time posting things on Facebook about giving up meat for the sake of the environment 
than I do about the sake of health part of ideas. But they work hand in hand. And the third element is, um, oh dear, as, as a farmer and as a father, I used to insist on three meat meals a day with my kids. That's the way I brought them up. Just disgraceful. But um and and so and I killed all we killed all our stock and we did we did all the things that farmers do to animals, which when you think about it, is horrific. And so the the third element is I, I became much more aware of um animal cruelty, which is just it's mind-boggling how cruel you are to the animals. And 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 that is and the, the domesticated animals of all kinds, forget me. There's some staggering figures about how much, what the what the percentage of the vertebrates in the world are now domesticated animals. Right. And if they're not cattle and sheep and goats and whatever, they're dogs and cats eating the cattle, sheep and goats, whatever. <laughs> it's it's a shocker. So the, so there's these three legs that I talk about. The, 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 each one of those is a real reason to go vegan. The animals, the environment, or the health, and um, if you, if you only follow for two of those, that's fine. But you'll, whichever three, whichever one you adopt, within a very short time, you pick up all three. Yeah, it's very interesting. What, which one of those pillars brings people into the space, and it's and it can be quite different when you chat to people who have switched to to, to not eating meat. It, it's it's you uh, it can be very personal, whether it's the environmental side or the ethical side or the or the health side. But often, once one of those brings you in, you, you learn about these other pillars and and get the whole the whole picture. And there's a whole other side to it. And I, I would almost add like a, a fourth pillar of the the kind of joy of it and the purpose that you get in your life once you switch to this kind of plant based lifestyle. And I was just going to add to what you said before: the it's really challenging with the domestic pets because I, I feel that struggle as well. We we have a, a dog um, who lives with us, uh, Maddie, um, and I'm really challenged in that relationship because of this conflict. And originally, she was a large part of why we went vegan. We were, uh, she came into our lives, we were still eating meat, just doing the normal thing that you do as a family. You know, you get married, then you get a dog, and then you start having kids. And we were watching this documentary called Earthlings, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. And it's it's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. And there's there's some really hard-hitting footage in there. One where they are like literally like skinning dogs for their furs or, or you know, really like kind of wild dogs. And, you know, you look at this puppy on your lap, you think, how could I ever let anything happen to, to another sentient animal, animal? And it really kicks home. And so, you know, with Maddie sitting on our laps and us bawling our eyes out, we're like, right, we're going vegan. We're not going to eat meat anymore. But it's really caused a challenge in our relationship since then because every time I take Maddie for a walk and she's on a lead, I'm like, this just feels like such a a unbalance of a relationship, right? Like, why do why have I got dominion over this sentient being? Why do I walk around with a lead? It feels really um, really wrong in many senses. And Anna, my wife, and I have had lots of really hard conversations about about how to how to process that and how to how to have a, a good relationship and. I can't imagine I would, I would, I would want to get a dog now, right? Like that, 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 right. I, I agree with you, um, and and it does present challenges in that regard. And I think, yeah, our, our, you've got to uh, step back and take a look at how we how we have dominion over these other species and whether that's actually right. You know, they weren't they weren't put there to serve us. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad you're going through that anguish. There's a, there's a, there's a woman who's, who, who adopted the word carnist. Can't think what carnist, her name is. Yeah. Uh, Melanie Joy, I think is. The, yeah, that's her. Yeah, she's yeah, that's amazing. It. She's got an amazing yeah, she is. Um on, on it, what she calls carnism, right? And, 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 and she, you referenced this in the book about how people say it's normal, natural, and necessary. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and she talks about... If you were sitting at a dinner party and someone said, oh, this is a hind quarter of a, a lovely roast on the table and it's a hind quarter of a Labrador, then everyone, but, um, everyone would be horrified. Uh, the other part of that is, of course, you've got to, to as a farmer, I recognise this clearly, that um, there's probably 10,000 years of human interference with the breeding of the dog that you're now owning. And all of those generations were dominance by human. It didn't just start with you buying a dog. It started way back. And you're just, sadly, and me, I've had dozens of dogs, tens of dozens of dogs. Yeah, the burden of that is what you've got to carry with, with the dog you own. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's right. That's absolutely, absolutely right. Um, and I'm, but I'm glad for that awareness and that we can have these conversations and that we can think about these things on a, on a, on a deep level. Exactly. I'm going to come back. You mentioned something about the joy of veganism. I was going to tell a story about that. Yes, please. Right? That's back. Um, when I was a farmer and I used to kill a sheep and cut it down, and, and all through the process, every now and again, I'd get start salivating because I could imagine the roast in the oven. And, you know what I mean? It was pretty, it's pretty horrific, but that's, what, that's the way I was raised. Now I go out and pick a bunch of silver beet or something like that, and I find myself salivating, <laughs> which I still can't get used to that. But <laughs> so my joy now is in, in, in green veggies. You know, it's quite extraordinary how far that, that where that joy gets you to. That's such a good point. Uh, there's there is a joy that comes from this way of eating, which I've spent a lot of time trying to articulate into words and got lots of draft blog posts that have never been published kind of talking to this purpose that we've found in our life. And I guess what I'm trying to talk to is what you referenced before, where people feel like they're missing out on something or they're reducing their options and uh, taking choice away from their life. When, when in fact, certainly what we've found and other people have spoken to is that it brings about a real purpose in life. And you discover there's just so many beautiful ways to cook vegetables and beans and you know, yeah, pulses yeah. And, and everything, uh, yeah. fruit and, and all, all the all the joyful stuff you can make. And you only need to look at a whole food plant-based cookbook to, to be salivating, I think. You do too. You do too. Well, yeah, one of my joys is, in fact, I don't know how many recipes I've now harvested, but I've got a, got a folder of it's hundreds now of plant-based recipes. And it's, that's, been a, that's been a wonderful journey. To be comfortable with them, and so you still you still do all the cooking. It sounds like you're really uh, really into your cooking right throughout life. But uh, would you call yourself quite a proficient whole food plant based cook now? Yeah, yeah I think I am. Um, I I don't often now. Every now and again, I lose my nerve if we're having a dinner party or something and refer to recipes. But on a day to day basis, I just throw things together, and they're always good. Well, nine out of ten. I was, you know, I was re, re-inspired to just on re going through plant paradigm to uh because we've always we've, we've been 
um, plant-based for like six years, but I'd never really got fully into the whole food plant-based approach. And we eat essentially like a whole food diet, but we hadn't, you know, we were still using a lot of oils and things like that. And so I've been experimenting since rereading your book, actually really getting into that whole food plant-based approach. And that's been really rewarding and really fun. And just realizing that you can, you can absolutely cook that way. It's not that big of a challenge. Have you seen um, the video of, of, uh, Caldwell Esselstein giving a lecture in a hall somewhere and he has a blackboard and he's got no no fish, no meat, no eggs, no milk, no oil and one other thing. And then he, he stops and he says, I don't think you've heard me. And he walks to the front of the stage and he puts his hands over his mouth and he says, no oil. <laughs> because it's the one thing that people can't believe they can live without oil. And, and um I'm very comfortable cooking with that oil. It's amazing. And I think like I've, I've read a lot on that whole food plant-based approach, but but again, your book just sums it up really succinctly and really nicely oh, and just you. presents how to work through that challenge in a really easy to digest way. So I commend you on on how you've been able to articulate that because it makes it seem very thank approachable you. on rereading your your story. Well, the best thing is not to have oil in the house. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> you force yourself into it. But the other one is, that, and I'm not going to describe it now, but the reasons for no oil are very, very clear. It's not whole because of all the, all the, the nut or whatever the oil has been taken from has gone away. And you can eat, take peanuts, for example. You can eat as many peanuts as you like mm. and it won't do you any harm. Take the oil away from the flesh of the peanut. Actually, peanuts aren't a nut, are they? But still, it doesn't matter. Yep. Um and and take the flesh away from it, and just take the eat the oil in a separate instance, and your veins and and uh, capillaries suffer significantly. Mm. And so it's it's just damn foolishness to eat oil. <laughs> and maybe maybe it's a good uh, dive in here for for people that aren't super familiar with a whole food plant based diet. What does a typical dinner meal look like for you? If you had some had some family coming over for dinner, and you're going to whip up a, a James special, what what might that look like? It's it, more and more. It's a one pot dish nowadays. Yeah, you got to save on dishes. Um, got to keep the dishes down. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, one of the, the trying to compare a plant based meal with a meat dish is that the in, in the meat world, the meat is the center of the plate with veggies around the outside. In general terms, they're just a token add on. You know, I better have some broccoli with that steak. I'll yeah, yeah, on the side. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gradually, I found that if you haven't got a central element like like a steak or whatever, then you might as well put cook it in one pot. And as long as you get your flavors right and the consistency adequate, then um it works well. I could I include it frequently include beans or chickpeas or th- things in the dish. I frequent I've got I've got I've got my own brew of curry paste, which I'm very proud of. And and so I I I can use a, a little bit of that or a lot, depending on whether I just want to enhance the flavor or make a real humdinger curry. And then, g- generally speaking, if you, just an everyday sort of thing, I steam my veggies and then wok them in a, in a sauce of some kind, a bit of tomato or a bit of uh, mushroom or a bit of something just to give a bit of base to it. And then I serve that with um, with rice or Sometimes roast potatoes. There we are. Then there's two dishes. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah. It's, I seldom cook the same meal twice nowadays. So it's hard to tell you which, what I do. But And then if I'm having a, if I lose, every now and again I lose my nerve and think, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. So then I refer to one of the hundred recipes I've got and pull out something that's a little bit more spectacular, like something in a dish that's layered with, with cabbage and mushrooms. And, and so you can present it like a, a steaming dish that you, you'd serve up. And that, that adds another level of excitement in serving. And we eat a lot of brown rice with, with curries frequently. Mm. The beautiful thing about cooking with vegetables is it's very forgiving and yeah. you can cook them lots of different ways and they're great carriers of flavor. And when you switch from making meat the, the heart of the meal to making vegetables, the champion of the dish, once you start thinking about it and adding spices and um, making your own sauces and stocks, and it, it's it's incredible the um, joy that that vegetables can endear. You know, the, the, um, the taste they can take on is quite surprising, uh, especially for me who used to eat steak and some microwaved peas on the side. You know, <laughs> I was feeding myself. That's what my normal meal would, would kind of look like. I've been relatively creative in my time with inventing all sorts of things. And um, nowadays, at this stage of my life, my creativity is all in the kitchen. And so every night is, is a little a little bit of creativity because it's never going to be the same as it was last time. It's so funny you mentioned that. <laughs> once, once we went plant-based, I basically assumed the, the cooking role in the house. And, and, and I love it for that exact same reason that I, I never go on with a recipe. I just look in the fridge and say, okay, that's getting a bit long in the tooth. That better be eaten. And what, you know, we, we didn't have rice last night, so we'll have rice tonight. And then dream up some sort of sauce to go with it and, and make a meld of deliciousness. And I just, I love that creativity aspect. It gives me such a win every day. And, and I always look forward to getting into the kitchen to cook a meal. Never having to defrost chicken ever again is quite handy. It's quite lovely. <laughs> i tell you, one thing I do do every day is, and I'm very keen on this, is that I, I buy whole hulled oats from a grain merchant and I boil those up for about 45 minutes and then put them in the fridge and then um, peel off some every morning. And that's my porridge. And and I, I swear that, that that porridge is so much better for us than the, the, the um, raw oats you get that have been on the shelf in the supermarket for months on end sort of thing. I, I really, we have that every day with fruit. And, and the other one is that every day I've got this brew that I make. It's got mushrooms and spinach and curry paste and a bit of miso and a bit of cashew cream. I, I, I make my own cashew cream. And I make that as a supplement to go after my porridge. And my kids come and stay with my grandkids come and stay with me just so they can have my breakfast. <laughs> How do you take it? As a, like, do you make it as like kind of a, do you grind it all up? Or is that, do you keep the mushrooms and spinach and stuff whole? Or is that? I chop them up a little bit. Right. And then, and I saute the in water, the yeah. um, mushrooms for a couple of, two or three minutes. Then I add the spinach and add the, the, the three condiments that I use and just takes about three or four minutes. And it's, that's delicious. That sounds amazing. I love that. What a way to start the day. Yeah. Yeah. It sets your life. <laughs> I'm really interested in the oats too. I have to 
ask you about um, you know, where to go to order those because we eat a lot of oats in our house, but we and we buy them in, in bulk as as rolled oats. But I'd be really keen to try the less less processed version and just boil them ourselves and give that a go. In Blenheim, we've got a grain merchant, but I'm sure most most cities and towns would have a grain merchant. The, 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 as I understand it, the hulled oats, it's basically the oat without the fingernails on it, you know, that we, what I'm talking about. And um, the hulled oats are produced primarily to feed canaries and, and paged birds because they flick the, the fingernails out of the cage. So, but they are suitable for human consumption. But if, no, if you go to a health food shop, you never find them. They're whole howled oats. <laughs> Love to see more, more and more oats becoming available. And, and I remember reading and thinking you're losing the silver spoon book. You actually used to grow some oats when you were farming. Oh, right? we used to. We, we had horses in those days. Yeah, and we used to feed them oats. If we um, crushed the oats too many days prior to feeding them, the horse's performance dropped off. Yeah. Wow. So that's because a whole load, the whole grain lasts forever. But as soon as you do something to it, and, and even the, the rolled oats, it's, 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 it's pre-cooked. That's basically what it is, isn't it? And somehow that lasts. But how much goodness is in it, I don't know. This is a slight segue, but as a former farmer and someone who I'm sure has thought about this a fair bit, do you, do you see oats as being a viable kind of alternative to farming animals for a lot of people out there with, you know, suitable land to do such a, such a switch. That's, you've opened up a can of worms now. <laughs> um, yeah, oats is one, one option. But the fact is that livestock require eight times the acreage of any other, you know, whole food, plant-based whole food. So basically... If the, if the country went to plant to whole food, plant-based, whole, whole food, plant-based, the um, seven-eighths of the land that is now being used would go back to bush, which is what it belongs to, where it, where it should be. And and then the rest of it, oats, wheat, yeah, any any, any grain um, would would be part of the, the natural need of foods. But we don't we, we certainly don't need this, the acreage of New Zealand covered in oats. And in fact, we, my understanding, I did a little research into grains a couple of years ago, and I, and I couldn't have the stat wrong, but my understanding was that around 80% of the wheat we grow in New Zealand is fed to uh, animals um, as feed. And the the vast amount of the maize we grow uh, is uh, obviously as animal feed. And that's the case around the world. Like you hear anything from 60 to 80% of the soy and, and grain in general is, is fed to animals as feed. So it's, there's a startling amount of food <laughs> that's already being grown that, that that could be eaten directly. Without question. Absolutely without question. It's the same food. It, it should be going straight to humans. Hmm. But as I say, what would all the livestock people do? Your story is full of so many inventive moments, and I want to trace back to that for a second that you alluded to before. You're quite an inventive, creative person, and just reading your, your book, you've just so many inventions that uh, that you came up with in a in a farming space to make your life easier and help other farmers and help the whole um, uh, world do a better job and be more efficient. I'm interested in since you've discovered this whole food plant based lifestyle, has has that inventive mind still kicked in? Have you had any crazy thoughts about like 
you know, vegan inventions or what, what the world needs to help this, this movement grow? No. <laughs> um, if I hadn't bought one, I would have tried to invent a Thermomix. Do you know the Thermomix? Yes. <laughs> but, I, but I bought one instead. And, and, and I think that's a brilliant invention. It's so suitable for vegan cooking. And um, the only thing I can say is that uh, my lifetime of so-called inventing things has always kept me with, with a very open mind. And, and I've always loved change. But if there's something better, I'll change it. And so I think I was successful in becoming a vegan on my own without anyone else helping me was, was simply because I've got a, a, a mentality that accepts new things when they come out. I've got, I've got my own curry paste. I've now made my own plant-based aioli. <laughs> no oil. <laughs> wow. Um, All right. I have to get that recipe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My I'll wife give you, love that. I'll, give, I'll, I'll email, email you the, the link to my my um, recipes. Yes, please. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. <laughs> In fact, I'm quite happy for anyone to go and look at it if they want to. Um, well, thank you. And, and I, I do my own cashew cream. I, I'm constantly evolving um, recipes and and condiments. And, and so the thermo mix for those people listening, it's basically like a super intense blender, right? So would you use that for making like a cashew cream? Um, yep. It, it, yeah. Yeah. It, it's got an element in the bottom, so that you can cook in it, and and it, while it's cooking, it's stirring. So it's it's a it's a bit like having an automatic washing machine because you can set it to cook and stir for ten minutes and walk away. And in ten minutes, it it it, it, it turns itself up, rings a bell, and and it, so you can weigh in it. You weigh all your goods in, so I only work in grams. It cooks, it stirs, and and it also steams. So it's got a steaming wow. operation that you can put the veggies in a big basket on top of it, and some water enough to keep it steaming, and put it on the steaming thing. And once again. It, take, it takes 10 minutes to steam the veggies, so you can push it for 10 minutes, walk away, and 10 minutes later you've got these beautiful steamed veggies. Or I put it in for eight minutes and then walk them for two minutes. But, it, you know, it's, um, it, it saves a lot of work, and it's just this one machine sitting on the bench. That's incredible. Quite expensive. Quite expensive. It sounds like the perfect sidekick for a plant-based diet, though. Sounds ideal. It is, too. Yep, it is. It's excellent. Yeah, in fact, amongst other things, the, the blender is a very high-speed blender, too. So when you, if you blend it at full speed, it, it just blends everything into it. And so, yeah, it's, it seems really logical that it was easier for you to kind of reinvent your health in this way, coming from that uh, creative, inventive background that you've that you seem to have always had. Impossible. I've never thought of that before, actually. But, yeah. I seldom could get people to adopt my adapt to my invention, so I failed in this one too. I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I work very hard to try and persuade people to go vegan. But, uh, <laughs> I, I must say that now that I've been around this area for 20 years, and half of that, over half that time, I've been vegan. And now that I'm at the age I am, and still take no pills and have no ailments, I am starting to become an emblem of veganism i think so if i can live long enough i think that that will be the best advertisement of all (laughs) that's all right it is a really hard change to encourage i struggle with that too and i spend a lot of time 
talking to friends and, and people I know and, and very dear to my heart and, and talking about plant-based living and what it can do for you and, and cook a lot of food for anyone whenever we can. But it's a change that's really hard for people to consider or, or make space for. It's, it's a challenge, right? I, I find that really, yeah. It is too. It is. It's a big, big challenge. And, and everyone that's in this game, you know, all the people at the podcast and people that I, I listen to, they're all trying to sing the same song and tr- but trying to make an edge to, to twist someone out. But none of us are succeeding. Look at this. We are very gradually succeeding. I, I'm, I'm not totally despondent, mm. but um, it's taking a lot longer than I ever expected it would, sadly. Yeah, it is, it is sad. I know my, my oldest brother was vegan long before we were. And for years, you know, he, he modeled it so beautifully to us and, you know, never um, pushed us or pressured us to do, um, to do anything. And, and I know that for me, he was an inspiration to make that switch. Uh, he was a really big part of it for us, even though he didn't explicitly ever, he would just talk about the joy of food and the joy of what he was eating. And he would cook for us and take us to cool plant-based restaurants, but never, you know, it was always just modeling it. And I know that did make a big difference. It, it took a long time, but, but we got there in the end. I only wish I'd done it far, far sooner. It was very constrained of him, wasn't it? Very, yeah. Yeah. I can't, yeah. Help, I can't help talking about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> We've been naturally to be so excited after it's given you given you so much and seen such a massive turnaround for you. It is. It's, it's very exciting. And I think it is becoming more and more common, especially with uh, younger generations, to want to use their agency to take an action which can really make a difference. And, and like you alluded to at the start and, and spoke about it, I've been studying climate change really deeply for a couple of years now since I, I shut down my business and, and wanted to dive into this space. And you know, I'm convinced that not eating meat is, is the very the very best thing you can do. Um, we're all in this environmental crisis and, and that's the, the tangible way that you can make a difference every single day. Absolutely. The other one is stop driving your car. <laughs> I yep. think those are the two things that we can do. I was reading an article recently that said we can't do anything about it. We have to depend on government changing laws. And I think I, I think there's a figure, something like 50% of the global warming gases are created by us eating meat as an individual. And those can under undersell the, the damage too, because often those estimates don't take into account, well, what would that land do if it wasn't? used for cows it would revert back to to bush and uh, and that would sequester a lot of a lot of greenhouse gases as well uh and it's all the production of the food that's made to feed those animals too so uh depending on what research you look at it it could potentially be argued that it could be even more so it it really is a tangible thing that people can do it's it's hard with the climate crisis because you feel like it's so out of your hands and you know it's these it's the the bp and chevrons of the world that need to solve it but but there are really things you can do and i'm really yes, indeed yeah I, i'm more and more convinced that the answer comes from a lot of individual people choosing to care and choosing to do what they can and that kind of the, the societal change comes from there rather than the the top down in terms of i, I couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more with that that's why i'm so frustrated so frustrated at how slowly people are moving towards veganism because if, if we're all vegan then a lot of the other government work would be so much easier for them to impose. Mm. But someone told me the other day, a friend of mine, 
said to me, uh, we were talking about a mutual friend, a quite a big time farmer, and they they whispered to me, "So and so hates you, James." <laughs> I thought, "Whoa, I'm getting somewhere now," <laughs> because. If you're a big-time farmer with lots of land and lots of livestock and lots of employees, then, of course, you're so focused on holding that together. And I'm so focused on wanting to destroy it, I'm afraid. Yeah, it's natural to feel very uh, – for people to feel really threatened by that, and I can I can I understand that. Um, I can too. I would just say that it, it comes from a place of love, right? Like the, the whole idea of eating plant-based is, is coming from a filling your plate with compassion – um and, good. And yeah peace, peace starts on your plate and all these all these things and uh there's there's a quote from this uh, a man named uh dr named silas rao who is a big proponent of um plant-based diets and does a lot of research into the global warming damage of agriculture and he has this beautiful quote which says a life filled with compassion is infinitely sustainable well, ah. i just love <laughs> nice one <laughs> It's very good. Very <laughs> Some people argue that, of course, that plants feel pain too, but I won't buy into that. <laughs> we can say, it's a bit, a bit more challenging, but yeah, I mean that's that's often a kind of defence used, right? But I think the, yes. the yeah the idea is that sentient animals that feel pain, you know, we should we should try and avoid suffering for them, which I just I think is is such a nice way to to live. Um, I do find it interesting that. That environmental pillar, more and more people be, are being brought to veganism by that environmental kind of um, part of it. But that seems like the the least, you know, often the the health reason or the ethical reason seems to be the the more sticking attraction for a lot of people once they see those yeah. health benefits and 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 get the ethical connection. Uh, it really embeds as a as a way of living more so than the environmental thing. It's easy to talk yourself back out of and say, oh, what does it matter if I'm doing this or not? What what difference does one person make? I'm only one, I'm only one person on the scene. Yeah, that's that's probably true. It's probably true. It's a bit like, um, you know, <laughs> we, we want to be clean and green, but then if if we, if we want to go to town or to go somewhere, we jump in the car and go in. That's and, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the other two options... It's more black and white, isn't it? If I eat that bit of steak, I've 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 supported the slaughter of an animal. That's right. Once you've made that connection and taken those blinkers off, it's extremely hard to to switch that back to to yeah. turn that off. Um, yeah. Once you've yeah. once you've seen some some health benefits as well, uh, and. I, I got really weird health benefits that came about from the switch. I, I stopped getting hay fever. I stopped getting eczema on my skin. I felt more clear-headed, stronger. Things that came about that I never expected to to uh, to see from a plant-based diet. Um, recovery was much quicker after any sort of exercise. Yeah, all these kind of flow-on effects, which which were a absolute. Happy bonus. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Um, have you read any, I'm sure you have, um, uh, Dr. Campbell's books. What's his first name? I can't remember what his name is. Um, the, the bloke that wrote the, the China study. Oh, Colin right, Campbell's. right. I and he read a book. Oh, you haven't read it? No, no, no. I should. I, I, I know, the, know the book um, that you're talking about, but I actually do need to read that one. 
the China study, but he's written another one. I'm trying to look for it here. Can't see it. It's called Whole, W-H-O-L-E. And there's a string of words after that. I forget what they are. But that's a book I really, really like because it, he, Campbell's, he'd been around for a long time now. He's a wonderfully old man, but, um, uh, and, and, you know, so healthy. He and Esselstein, they're both in their late 80s and thriving. Um, he, he, he suggested what, all we've got to do is feed our body correctly and our body will look after us. And he's got all sorts of stories in there about people getting over cancer, getting over all sorts of um, diseases and, 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 um, and, and problems once they went plant-based. And, 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 and I've got that sublime belief now that just feed our bodies what they want, not what they don't want, hmm. um, then let, your body will start fixing itself pretty damn well. Especially worth the shot if you've got underlying conditions, right? If you if you're developing um, autoimmune diseases or just weird kind of health things that you're not sure where they're coming from or why they've come about and experiencing changes, it's it's something that you can really quickly try. It doesn't cost you anything. In fact, it might save you money. Not buying meat makes life easier. Cooking, and there's so many so many positives to it. Um, yeah. And it's and, and it's worth a shot, right? And 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 you'll get pretty quick benefits. Yep, indeed. My wife, as I was going vegan, she she had to have a hip replaced, and the doctor said, "Oh, you'll have to have the other one done in the next few years." And um, I persuaded her then to go vegan, and and particular in particular go off all immediately go off all milk products entirely, and and twelve years later, she still didn't got the second hip done. And and she, um, but she was playing golf, and she'd come home from golf sometimes, and she'd complain that her, her knuckles were starting to ache. And every time I could say to her, "You had a sandwich with butter in it today," and that was all it took to to, to reinstate the the, the um, arthritis. Wow! And, so, <laughs> and even there, like, when people come hobbling around with all sorts of arthritis, I give up milk. Cheese, touch the cheese because cheese is probably the highest effect on that because mm. it's a concentration of the milk. And um, can't do that. Can't do that. Go off to the doctor, get all sorts of pills and potions. And it's really what you can convince yourself is normal too. Like I, I used to wake up every single morning and start my day. This sounds horrible, but like coughing up phlegm from my throat. And, and that was just how I started my day. And that was just me. And that was, uh, it was genetic. And my, father had done that and my you know his father before him and and then as soon as i stopped eating dairy it, it instantly went away it's like okay well you don't actually have to live with these um low level afflictions that are you don't know what damage they're doing in the background but um there's often uh, I'm more and more starting to learn that so much of what we experience is related to what we put in our bodies and as you said you know if we just feed ourselves the right way then our body will heal itself and take care of itself Interesting. You read about the Chinese general way back, like centuries, probably millennia ago, who who was whenever he when he set out to form an army, he went around the villages in China, and he wouldn't take anyone that had any village that had adopted a milk drinking thing because there's a word phlegm, P H, 
L E M phlegm, and um, because they were they were afflicted with phlegm, and so people have known this for, for millennia that milk introduced introduced phlegm. <laughs> Incredible. And that's what you were suffering from. Yeah. What would you What would you say to anyone thinking like if someone's listening and they're like teetering on the idea and thinking about making the switch, but but have uh, understandable doubts and fears and um, worries about how hard it might be. Are there places where you'd send people to start, like maybe books you'd suggest they read or something they should watch or or just techniques for for so, getting it to go? The biggest killer is heart disease, isn't it, apparently? And so so the first thing they've got to go off is by, um, well, there's that whole book. Cool. I'll definitely put that in the show notes, the whole book. I'm, I'm going to check that out. Hang on. Excuse me. I'll just... Um, Rethinking the science of nutrition is cool. the underlying part. Um, is 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 um, here it is. Um, Esselstein, prevent and reverse heart disease, and and a number of people I know nowadays have broke, have had a stroke or threatened a stroke or got stents and things like that, and I always try and get them to read that book. Because he, he he states it so clearly that it's that he, he now he, he when he retired from being a surgeon, you might know this, I don't know, but when he retired from being a surgeon, he decided that he'd he'd devote his life to, to curing people with heart disease. Right. But so he gave them exactly the amount of same amount of time or it was his time in lecturing and 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 consulting with them. As he would have if he'd cut them open and did. He's a super, he's a very very good surgeon when he was. Is a bypass or whatever it might be. Sorry. Well, rather than operating them on, it's a, when it's when yeah it's yeah yeah. Right. So he'd sit them down and talk them and talk them through there. Talk and and his wife's a very good cook, so they, t- they work as a pair, and she teaches them how to cook with with plant based, and he and he keeps and working on them until they get to be a plant, and he he. Just the same success as they, well, even higher because he hasn't cut them open as the guys that he, um, and, and so I think he's, I think he's such an inspiration. And so that's for hearts. And, and, and then, um, the, the, um, China study states so categorically that, that, um, animal, animal foods of animal origin cause cancer, endlessly cause cancer. So those are the two. Biggest fears people seem to have is heart disease and cancer, mm. and so those two books on their own. And and Esselstein and, and Campbell are great mates nowadays. And if you read those two books, I think you've got the the heart of what it is. And the other one is, um, although my wife says that she can't stand his voice, and he he gives he's, I re- listen to a podcast every, every day. I still do it actually, or a lot of days because it sort of just simply reinforces. The, the, it's sort of like going to church in a way. It reinforces my belief, but um, and he also comes up with all sorts of new ideas and, and, and new new reasons for being vegan. Is that Michael? Gregor? Some, are you, are you yeah, yeah. What's yeah, Gregor? What's his first name? Michael Gregor, and he's he's awesome. He does have quite a a funny voice, but he um he's a absolute genius, and he's put out uh, a book called How Not to Die. And then yeah. diet is another one. Yeah. And he does. He publishes an amazing podcast. Um, yeah. I think it's the Nutrition Facts podcast, and he has an incredible website, nutritionfacts.org, yes, which is just full of 
really good information where you can go and look up any affliction you might have or any type of food you might be considering and it'll tell you whether it's good or bad for you and, and, and with evidence-based um uh, uh information so everything's based on on studies that have been done and uh he's, he's quite superb and and his and his research is and is phenomenal it's incredible and, and then, then he, he 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 contains it into a small package and puts it out and and he, I think he's I think he's just stunning. And I think anyone who's thinking about going vegan should initially subscribe to his podcasts and and go to his website and just if whatever affliction they might have, look it up on his website and see how Gregor would fix it. Because every time it'll be a plant based um, approach. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Mm. So that's yeah. That's a, I mean that's enough for the beginner. <laughs> well, I suppose. Read my book. <laughs> yeah. um, there's one affliction that I was thinking I might share in this podcast, which I've never shared with anyone outside my my wife. But I, having this chat with you today felt like I've been wanting to, to talk about this on the podcast for a while and having this chat felt like a nice catalyst. But since we're talking about this subject, one of the health problems that a plant-based diet fixed for me was a, a lifelong issue with uh, – what you call erectile dysfunction. And uh, for years as an adult, I would avoid, it, it created a lot of challenges in relationships. I avoided one night stands like the plague, which never engage in any of that sort of behavior because I was really worried that you know, I wouldn't be able to perform, as you would say. And it wasn't until I went vegan that after, you know, as a, you know, 32 year old that this entirely went away <laughs> and that was that was really mind-blowing for me and, and not expected but it's one of these types of things where you know I, I really think it could help a lot of younger people I know a lot of people have that challenge and go through that sort of affliction as well and uh but I have I haven't felt comfortable ever sharing that with with anyone um and well, I'm honored that you did it <laughs> thanks <Jess. laughs> Uh, but but I really it just I just want to share that with people listening so they can understand that like that I, I can't stress enough how valuable this can be as a as a change if you're willing to give it a go and how it can transform your life in ways you might not expect. Well, I'll share mine. I I also went through a, a, a period of erectile dysfunction when I was just about the same time as I went vegan. And I went to the doctor about it, and 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 they they said, "Oh, it's just you're too old." <laughs> and I thought, "I can't be too old because if you read some of these books, I can't remember who it is now. These these Japanese, there's blue 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 countries, or whatever blue zone. They're still having sex. Yeah, blue zone. Well, they're still enjoying sex at a ripe old age, and um, I got the same result. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic." It's, yeah, it, my 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 ability is fading at the moment, and I'm and I'm not eating the wrong food. But it, but I think now maybe, maybe at, age, at my age now, I run out of steam. It's catching up. <laughs> yeah. the, the I'm not I'm not entirely um, impotent, but it's not as not as um, effective as it was. Mm. If that it makes me think of one of my tense tests, I I hit a yacht. And 
12 years ago, I, I, I had a fairly heavy anchor on it. And 12 years ago, I was decided that I was going to have to um, put a winch on the front to pull the anchor up because I was getting too tired pulling it up. And um, then I went vegan. And that next summer, I found myself pulling the anchor up. Dung, 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 dung. And that's wow. how I judged my my strength had increased enormously. Yeah, that's fantastic. not doing any more exercise. Yeah. That's so, that's so, so cool. And I, I love the it's way. It's easier that, to tell that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I must say, personally, it's very nice not to, you know, I used to sneak off to the doctor in my 20s to get, you know, subscriptions for little blue pills so that oh, I could God. sort of manage this problem in, yeah. in, in silence and deal with it. And it caused so much stress and, um, and relationships, yeah, as I say, for a, for a long time. So it was more than any other benefit I got, that was obviously the most life-changing and confidence-building and um, helped, yeah, in my personal life so much that uh, it was an absolute game-changer, more so than the, um, you know, than, than anything else that could have happened. So I'm very, very thankful. Amazing. Tell me, did has Gregor ever spoken about it? I'm not sure. I should look, actually. Yeah. She should. Perhaps I should. Yeah. Yeah, I would check that out. I would check out because he's got sub. He's covered every single subject, so I'd surpri- be surprised if he hasn't. Yeah. yeah, there's a doctor I have consulted with a couple of times in Wellington. Um, I don't know if you know him, uh, Luke Luke Wilson. Yes, I've been to see Luke, and it's a good have you for um, Luke Wilson's an incredible plant based doctor. He's based in Wellington. You can, I think, his site is Two Zesty Bananas. He has a practice which he runs with another another doctor. Um, appropriately called two zesty bananas, but sorry, I'll let you carry on. I just thought I'd, I'd add that. No, well, I've had a couple of sessions with him on Zoom. We give he gave it's something an hour's consultancy. It was just amazing. I can't even what I was approaching him about. Oh, I know, I know. Yes, I had too high a blood pressure, and uh, that's right. And and he um, and he gave he took at the end of it all. He told me to give up salt and coffee. Right. Bingo. Sorted. <laughs> no doctor. The other doctors kept trying to, when I went to them and they said, take pills, and I wasn't going to take a pill. And so he's, I think he's fabulous. But he also, I don't know, I didn't share with him my erectile dysfunction, but, but there's something tricking in my brain that he, he had some man's book I should have read and I can't remember what it was now. But, I'm sure he could. I'm sure he would have a. He would deal like you did anyway mm. with erectile dysfunction, but, but you should be, with, despite your embarrassment, maybe you should be shouting that from the rooftops because every man that suffers from that needs a cure, don't they? Uh, the blue pills are just horrific. <laughs> absolutely, and just knowing the the hurt that it can cause uh, and the pain that it can cause for partners, you know, who, yeah. who, um, in that situation. So anyone listening to this with, with partners, you know, encourage them to check out, uh, you know, Dr. Campbell's books, and and I'll definitely put Mr. Gregor's podcast if I can find one on the subject in the in the show notes. And it is really nice because, in particularly in New Zealand, I find there's there's an aversion to wanting to take pills. You know, people want to just write things out and let the body get better. But you know, this really is a way that you can uh, let your body heal itself. And it might not work for everything, of course, but it's it's pretty easy and pretty low you know well no risk in my opinion to try and 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 so cool that i think i was going to say before is a lot of people i i feel get very set in their ways and 
especially as I talk to older friends of mine and parents and things that, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to change. <laughs> it's, it's too late for me. I'm, I am what I am. But, but you must have gone vegan in what, your 50s? Um, if you're anyone. Oh, no. 12 years ago. 12 years ago. Oh, no, so only 12 was, years ago. I, so, yeah, so, so I was in my late 70s. So that's incredible that you're still. No, not late. Sorry, late 60s. Sorry, late 60s. Yes. So that is, to me, that's super impressive to, to make that switch in your late 60s and see these huge fundamental health changes. Um, that's, that's quite astounding. If only I'd done it 20 years earlier, it would be even more <laughs> astounding. Sorry, uh, no, I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel so lucky for our kids who are, who are plant-based and, you know, they may choose not to be vegan when they're older and, and, and that's up to them. But, you know, I sort of look at them and I'm like, you, you kids could live to 150 the way you're going. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Perhaps it's Gregor, someone, some podcast I follow, um, have, oh, maybe it's Colin Campbell's uh, podcast Campbell, or a, website um, that where, where people coming in in their 80s with afflictions and are persuaded to go po- plant-based, and and find recovery. That's the point. You can do it at any age mm. and it'll work. That's Because your body is so forgiving once it get, if, once you get rid of the rubbish that you're feeding. Just, and so just the trouble for me is well. I'm, I'm now vegan. What do I do next? <laughs> 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 I haven't worked that one out yet. <laughs> now the, salt, the salt in the coffee sounds like a... Uh, yeah, sounds like a, a challenging but positive next step. Piece of cake, piece of cake. Wow. In the end, Luke discovered that the my drop in blood pressure. I I I wrote to him and said I don't think my blood pressure is dropping anywhere near as much as I was expecting. And he said, "Send me the data." And I sent it to him. Then we had another session, and at the end of it all, he said um, he told me I had to do more exercises, and he. He told me to start doing press-ups. I hadn't done press-ups for years. <laughs> and um, then he said, oh, by the way, he said, your blood pressure dropped quicker than I've ever seen a patient on pills go. go. Wow. Just from taking out salt and coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I, I'm happy to give up coffee. It took a long time to enjoy my porridge without salt. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I love it now. So there you are. <laughs> Have you done any experimenting with, um, you know, time restricted eating or, or intermittent fasting? Oh, we've been through all that. Yeah. 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 Tried various fasting elements, but it, we certainly saw some benefits. We used to do it together, my wife and I. Um, but it's a bit of an effort. Yeah. We found. And it wasn't something we've ever managed to do on a constant basis. But I guess that it, when I said, what is, what is the next thing I can do? I guess that's what it is, is going, go on fasting. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, right. There's so much beautiful, so many beautiful plants to eat. It's challenging. <laughs> <laughs> what I, Luke, I think it was thinking of opening a, or running a, um, some sort of retreat where you can go through, because a lot of them like to see you going through with medical intervention when you're going through these things. Mm. But the price, the cost is so hideously high. I don't know why it is so high. 
Mm. I've done two or three day fastings in the past. No real effects, and in fact, felt great for it. Such a such a determination to go through with that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Have you done it? I've done some two day ones. Um, that's about as long as I've been able to to go so far, and and generally try and fit our eating into kind of a a seven or eight hour window most days. So we'll kind of eat between oh, yeah. 11 and seven. And I find that works very, very well for me, but I think it can be quite personal too in terms of what, what suits you. Um, but I definitely find if I, if I don't eat in the morning, I, I have a lot of energy and I'm, you know, I'm really productive in that first kind of three or four hours of the day. And it seems to be really good for like digestion and just um, my sense of well being. Um, but I think it, yeah, I think it comes back to, it's probably not for everybody um, and something you can experiment with if you like. There's a lot of science behind the time-restricted eating as being hugely beneficial um, because you're basically giving your, your your body a chance to rest in between feeding it. Uh, so you're just giving your your stomach and your digestion and your intestines and everything just a, just a moment's respite, um, which which seems to make a lot of sense. So. Thank you very much for that. In the last year, I've up till last last I don't know some months ago anyway. My day was a by 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 seven o'clock. I'd been working for three hours anyway, so I was starting to get hungry. <laughs> yeah, so but that that routine has changed now. Um, that's because I'm an early morning person, and now I'm more into retirement mode. No, we could have breakfast later. Do you fit three meals in in those seven hours? Yeah, we still do. Have like a, a late breakfast, like around 11, and then a lunch around one. Um, so this is pretty pretty close to that together. And then a dinner, quite an early dinner around 5.30 with the kids. And one of the most beautiful things about having kids has been the encouragement to eat earlier. And I found that an incredible change just to- I couldn't to agree more. Night. I couldn't agree more. We yeah. frequently have our, meal, our evening meal quite early. There's yeah. a- there's a really good book uh, called Lifespan by a guy named David Sinclair, who is the uh, one of the world's uh, eminent, you know, most uh, leads leads the world in terms of um, longevity research. And he is not vegan, but he's pretty much nearly he's like ninety five percent vegan. And basically, his uh, and his top few tips of how to live a longer life, he's you know, eat more plants, eat less meat, and restrict the window in which you eat. And, you know, he talks about supplements like resveratrol and, uh, and these other options, but he's like, by far and away, the two best things you can do are to eat more plants, eat less meat, and to uh, condense your eating into a, a shorter time window. Mm. What's this resveratrol? What's, what, what's resveratrol? That? It's, it's the, uh, what you get from red wine, essentially. But, uh, oh, yes, I've heard of that. You have to drink a lot of red wine yeah. to get a powerful enough dose, but you can buy resveratrol as a supplement, and uh, it's it's a bit of a wonder wonder supplement for longevity and for cell repair. I believe is the main connection. Um, so he's a proponent of that too. But it's a really good book and a really easy read. And a guy who uh, helped his family turn around a lot of health issues and and uh, are all living a long, oh, healthy, happy life. Right, right. What's his name? David Sinclair. Uh, he's an Australian guy. Even. David Sinclair. Even. Oh, um, David. David Sinclair. And the book is called Lifespan, which I've really enjoyed. I 
I should do a bit of a review on it, of it on the podcast, but it's a, it's an amazing book. Oh, good. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank thank you for that that those suggestions. That's very good. My my pleasure. My pleasure. And one of my other goals is to um we'll chat, chat a bit more after this, but uh I'd love to help you get the word out about plant paradigm because I really think it's a fantastic kind of uh, uh it's something that people could read. It's it's a pretty good short read. It's really succinct, kind of hits on all the pillars of why you should uh, why it's worth trying this this plant based diet. Um, so alongside those books by Dr. Campbell, I, I suggest people should check Plant Paradigm out as well. Can people, as it's still easy enough to order online, they can go to your website and, and order yep. a copy. Yeah. And have you yep. have you self published yep. this? Just yeah. Well done. And <laughs> I, I self published both of them. <laughs> had you had you always been a writer, or did that sort of come about once you left the farm and moved to? Moved to Picton? No, no I, I've, I've always enjoyed writing letters and, and things, but then I I remember, yes, I, I I was obliged to write a history of the family farm or a brief brief history of it, and I didn't know where to start. And I uh, was encouraged to go to a writer's retreat. And... And I must have been thinking about it an awful lot because, and I didn't know what to do. And I went to, to this retreat, and the woman who ran, ran it, she's a wonderful woman. She she um, suggested. She told us that and we gathered in the, in the evening and we told a lot of stories and talked a lot about writing. And I had nothing to know, know about writing. And um, and then she said, in the morning you get up, you make no eye contact, no voice contact with the others. You just sit at your computer and you write. And you've got to be doing that by 9.30. And if you want my help, you put your hand up silently and I'll come and talk to you. And I picked away at the t- keyboard and I couldn't get anything done. Didn't, I didn't know what to do. And, and so I put my hand up and she came over and she said, type whatever you, comes into your mind and, um, and, uh, and I'll come back in half an hour and see what you've typed. And so I, I picked away at the keyboard. And she came back in half an hour and she said, Get rid of all those lines except that line. Now put that top, top of the page and write to it. She said, and uh, that by that night I'd written eight thousand words, <laughs> and it just went Wah! and spilled out of me. And from that moment on, I really enjoyed writing. And so, but I have I, I've I've started a third book, but I'm, I'm not going to go with it because the world's too. I was going to try and fix some things, but the world's too buggered. So I, I'm not doing the third, but but. But I did enjoy writing them. Yeah, I'm so intrigued now. So would, you, would you be open to sharing what the third book would be about? I come from the Rangatiki, oh. and and I've, I've I read a lot about the very early Rangatiki when it was all swamp and 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 bog and forest, and um, and with an abundant bird life, and. And it's described in the book I read about the, the when the when it was Rangatiki block was sold by the Maori to the Pakeha, and um, and it sounded like a beautiful, beautiful place. And as a as a as a, a young shepherd, I've worked on places where there were big bogs, so I understand the bog like environment. And and from there to where it is now. Where it's all drained, swamps all gone, peats all gone, the um, 
the moisture is all gone, but it's a draining more than anything else. It's, 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 it's completely destroyed the, the swamp infrastructure, which is um, peat holds 10 times as much CO2 as the best of the forest. So it's, mm. so all of that CO2 is gone. And the Rangitiki River, which was a nice wandering stream that's occasionally flooded, and when it flooded, it spread out over the swamps and refurbished them. Now is a narrow little stream that comes down whenever it does flood. It comes with a raging torrent and scars the base out. So when I was a child, I could, oh, it doesn't matter how I did it. But I know from my, when, from my age 12 to when I age 60, the river, the river level outside our farm dropped by three meters. Wow. Wow. And, and, so it's now a scouring drain out to sea. Mm. And I got half, two-thirds of the way into this book about how Rangitiki could be refurbished. And I thought, no, it can't happen. It can't happen. It's gone. And that, that is really, really sad. Mm. All we can do now is hope for the bush to grow and wait a couple of million years so the swamp starts forming again. <laughs> Using instant. Yeah, and it's a, it's a challenge I come up uh, um, to a lot of these uh, different ideas of, of whether we can kind of revert New Zealand to to what it was somewhat more and, you know, can we kill all the possums, can we control all the pests or, you know, are we kind of stuck with this this new world that we've created and how do we best work with that? Um, it is a real challenging conversation. You know, we we've, I, I was running through the stats on this and you talk about it in your book about, you know, we have... 11 plus million hectares used for for farming beef and sheep. I think it's 42% of New Zealand's land mass is used for farming beef and sheep. And a large part of that obviously used to be in forests and things. Um, but it's a it's a massive operation. You know, all, all the, compared to that, all the vegetables we grow, all the produce, all the horticulture we do, wine, everything uh, is, uses less than 1% of our land mass. <laughs> yes. yes. 0.8%. I don't know that figure, but that's staggering, isn't it? That's wild. And it feeds us and it feeds us well, doesn't it? Yeah. And interestingly, that that horticulture side of our economy produces half as much export income as the the beef and sheep farming. So I did not, not know that. It's not without um value, you know. So it's often discussed that oh the New Zealand economy reside, you know, relies on milk solids and, and beef, but it's. I guess I would suggest it's. It's not quite as black and white, and as that there are lots of beautiful things that we produce. Um, it certainly is the main one, but there's lots of other good stuff behind wow, that. Oh, that's that's interesting, isn't it? And the destruction of the environment, both the air and the water and the soil, by the livestock is is hideous. But whereas vegetable growing, which can be pretty ruthless because they use too much fertilizer and stuff, but it can't be nearly as destructive as livestock mm. mm. how interesting thank you for i wanted to say as well thank you for your work uh you know reading your story like you you were a pioneer in the regenerative agriculture space before i was born <laughs> like and this has become this buzzword now for helping the planet adjust and and reduce its emissions and restore the soil and you know and you were doing this back in the 70s and 80s it's incredible I'm too early with most of the things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Well, at least I can say, say I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by all means. It's, it's, and that, that must be so funny to watch people, you know, this is, this is just, this is a, totally, as I say, quite a buzzword now, becoming this new thing. It must be a weird experience for you to watch that, watch people talking about this great new technology now and it's something that... <laughs> and, and, and now I see it as a complete crock because it doesn't, it doesn't sequester anywhere near as much CO2 as it's, it's purported to do. Right, right. It, it it just can't do it. I mean, it, I know it takes some of the microorganisms take some carbon back in, but nothing like um, what the bush or the or the swamps or the peat could do. Right. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. That the, the bush or forests or or um, yeah these peats peat bogs, like you say, it's a really good point. Yeah. Sadly. So you know. I've, I'm, I'm becoming very. I've, I have become very cynical about it. A lot of this. If I've been there and done it, and I know it doesn't work, I know it doesn't work. From the, it worked brilliantly when I was doing it because we we were certainly got a much better soil structure and much more healthy livestock. There's no question of that. But nowadays, the big thing is global warming, not the health of the livestock. And so, um, it's a crock from that point of view, in my opinion. What Sadly, see, what do you see happening with farming over the the next ten, twenty years or so? What do you expect is going to? Have you have you ever been to? There's a place. Go and have a look up a, a crowd called Think X. Think X. I will. Yeah. And there is there are there are think what do they call them? They think a lot. Cool. Two or three of them in, in, think in New York. Yep. and and they. And it's in tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they um they come up with these publications, and I can't remember what they were, but the one that stuck with me. They're very interesting. All of them. I think they came up with seven different things, but the one that they um, struck me was that they declared they looked at all the all the science that's going into um uh, what do they call it that. Like um, uh, cell grow meat and and milk right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Something controlled fermentation. Mm. That's and 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 plant based meats and things as well. The equivalent that, and they declare that the the lives the dairy industry in particular and the livestock industry in general will be dead by twenty thirty. What a t- what a change that would be for New Zealand that and, and the world, of course, in general. But that's that's uh, a hopeful and also um, yeah, it comes with a lot of <laughs> a lot of connotations. Ooh, uh, oh my gosh! Does. And so what what I said after that to you was: so what can we do for farmers? Mm. You can't do a thing for them. Um, if, if, if if that word got out and was accepted, then land prices would plummet. Mm. And, and and farmers would be destitute. Mind you, there's not many farmers left, so that's not the big big issue. But but the but the whole culture of the country would change dramatically. Mm. And and um, <laughs> I can't think of any alternative. There's a there's a there's a site I go to frequently called oh what's it called Vegecom Veg Economics okay. Veg Economics something like that. Have you been to there? No, I haven't. I'll check that out. And veg comics, veg comics. Anyway, it's um, it's just a, 
every, I think it's a daily thing, and it, it headlines all the investments that's going into fake meat and fake milk. Mm. And I was initially, when I first went vegan, I was horrified about all this fake meat and fake milk. But I got a letter from, um, the, the, I mentioned way back, the, the guy that, um, the two guys that wrote to me from the United Nations. And I, and I caught up with them and corresponded when I was writing my book. And actually, one of them's died now, sadly. And, but anyway, the, the remaining one wrote about all the fake meat and fake milk that's coming and what a good thing it was. And I went back and said, no, it's crap. We weren't going to be vegan. We don't have to eat this, all this rubbish, you know. And he said, he came back and said, no, no, no. The world's not going to go from meat to nothing. They're going to go through a, a process. And so all these other things are going to come before they finish up. And, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And, um, and I've, I've discovered he's right. So all these these organisations that are now spending billions of dollars on making fake meat and fake milk, um, uh, grist to the mill of closing down the farming, and then ultimately they will collapse and we'll all be vegan. But, but they, it is a it's we've got to we've got to go through that process. And and uh, I agree with that yeah, too. So I can see that being the 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 important step. Um, in the right direction yeah. and, a, and a quicker step than than people slowly coming to the health and ethical and environmental realization of the the power of a plant based diet. And so, um, somewhere I read the other day that at a at a, at a um, questionnaire in Britain in America, how many people would eat fake meat rather than eating a slaughtered animal, and it was well over fifty percent. So everyone's waiting for it now. Yeah, that's it. And just two, just two days ago, I read about a, a crowd in Denmark that are building a factory, and the one factory is going to produce um, this, uh, using um, controlled fermentation, the equivalent of fifty thousand cows. Wow! In one factory. Wow. And so, it only needs a few of those factories, and. Um, the dairy industry is toast. And you know, in terms of cows, like you'd normally run like two and a half per hectare. Is that the kind of stocking rate you'd have for cows? So that's like an incredible yeah. amount of land that you save. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's insane. Yes. You've got to feed that, you've got to feed that fermentation, but yeah. that's with, with crops. It's with, um, and it, there's no water involved. There's no transport involved. You know what I mean? It's um, all compared to cutting. Milk to tank to, to factory and stuff, nothing. Well, and there's essentially so, right. So, um, it's one factory instead of 10,000 hectares to, to hold 50,000 cows. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And those, those factories will be planted wherever there's population. Mm. And so, the, the, you know, New Zealand's from the point of view, in t- within 10 years' time, New Zealand will be struggling to export meat and milk, I think. Shortage of shortage of you know the cost of fuel. We're in the wrong half of the world, but we're making New Zealand's making money out of other things, and we're not going to die. But we should let these farmers go now. Yeah, indeed, I agree. I agree. I think it's a really important story to to get out there, just so that there's that awareness that uh, this technology is moving so quickly, and it's really scalable 
as well, right? Like as soon as you've built a few factories that can do that, it's it's possible to build more. You don't need massive amounts of land. You just need the technology. Exactly. And that is growing so fast. If you've, if you've subscribed to that Veganomics um, for, for, for a week or two, you'd just be, you'd be blown away at what's happening out there. <laughs> Fantastic. Not that I advocate you eating stuff. No, but that but that's it's nice to hear these messages as a as a from a point of view of, of hope that there'll be this transition and that that you know environmental damage might slowly reduce from um from our, our normal sort of farming practices. So it's uh even if you know we, we didn't don't intend to, to eat the stuff it would produce, it's still a, a, a better solution than the status quo. Absolutely. Well certainly from the point of view of animal animal cruelty and mm. from um Land use, it, it's 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 a no it's a no brainer. Yeah. yeah, the tragedy is, of course, um, the, the the big companies who will control these factories will no doubt have less care about our health than any any other big company. Yeah, of course, of course. If you want to look after your health, you're still going to need to look where the financial incentives are not right. <laughs> like you're going to look the and I, and I had this interesting chat with my brother, the vegan one, when. Um, when we switched to a plant-based diet and I said to him, you know, I feel like I've had the blinkers taken off my eyes. Like what else are we programmed to think is normal, but is actually not good for us? Like how, what else in my life should I be looking at? And, and his advice was simply follow the money, right? Like follow. Ah, look yeah. 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 People ask you to pay money for the that the yeah. for you solution is often there's no financial incentive for these you know Dr Campbell to write these books or um, you know Dr Luke to be a to be a plant based doctor or Dr Greger to do this podcast uh, and and so that's that's a, a nice it's guiding not, light. <laughs> it is a very simple guiding light. It is so right. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. So, yeah. is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, that you'd like to say while we've no, I've really enjoyed. It. I just want to know what your what your game was before you. Are you, I mean, where's your source of money? <laughs> <laughs> well, so what? So I have a couple. Um, so I uh, worked in property. I was a real estate agent for many years, and uh, fortunate enough to, to to do quite well at that. Um, but when I at the end of 2019, our second child was going to be born and I really wanted to spend more time being present as a dad. I was I was working really hard and getting pretty burnt out and um, quite stressed and wanted to be around more. So I resolved to shut down my business. And what I did is I started what you'd kind of call like a lifestyle business. So the thing I was always really good at in real estate was writing blog articles and like educational guides for people who were buying and selling. And so I started a, a white label content business for property professionals. So it's called Agent Monday and people subscribe to that and I send them my blog articles and they can use them like they wrote them themselves. And so that's that's how we pay the bills. Um, and I'm well also, done. thank you. And then the rest of the time I get to do really fun stuff like this, like the podcast and I, I volunteer for a, charitable trust called for the love of bees which i'm a trustee of and we're championing this regenerative urban horticulture um approach where what are you yeah it, it's so much fun like they just got this uh 
incredible way of growing produce and vegetables where they like basically polycrop everything, they grow everything intermixed uh, and can just produce incredible amounts of food on very small amounts of land. And so it's a really nice fit with the kind of plant-based life thing that we have to help this movement flourish. And it's a direct-to-consumer model. So I'm, I really love it from the point of view of your, your relationship is with farmer that's producing your your veggie box each week. Um, and so it avoids all this challenge with supermarkets, with, you know, price gouging the farmers and then, you know, the, the duopoly. Um, and that's got some real... So is this a winning... Is this a Wellington thing or is it a nationwide thing? It's nationwide and it's a movement that's been going on for a while and the the CSA movement they call the the community community supported agriculture movement is is a been around for decades um but is fairly oh. new to New Zealand and there are a few proponents around the country but it's quickly growing and the the point of the trust is to really uh, help support that growing movement and to model how that uh, food can be grown in a really biology-first, regenerative manner uh, that's good for the soil, good for the health of the people eating the food, good for the farmers. So is there, is there a website? Have you got a website? Or what? Yeah, so you can go to fortheloveofbees.co.nz. I'll send you a link to it. Um, oh, okay. They, they currently uh, run a farm called OMG, um, Oreki Market Garden, which is in Auckland. That's the kind of model farm where they the flagship. And then they provide education. Uh, they provide courses for people all around the country to learn the growing techniques and just how to run this kind of project. Fantastic. It's very cool. So have you got a garden in your, in your home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's been a really uh, fun journey. Uh, and again, it's, a, it's an agency thing, right? So in the same way that eating plant-based gives you this way you can help the environment, uh, you can compost at home, right? And you can grow your own food and you can look after your yeah, soil yeah. in your own little space in it. It's a beautiful way to engage with nature, grow beautiful food. Like you say, go out and pick the silver beet and just put that straight into what you're cooking and it's, it's a real joy to do that. But composting, I, I would recommend to anyone to have a go at as a tangible action you can take to divert organic waste away from landfill, but also just see the circle, this beautiful circle of life that happens when you see all your organic yeah. waste as nutrients and you let all the bugs and worms and everybody recycle yeah. that and you put it out into your garden. It helps you grow beautiful food. Yeah. It's so much fun to be, to, to help enable that process. Certainly we live in an apartment nowadays, so we're a bit short of that, but there's a community garden starting up here in Picton, so we're going to participate in that. Fantastic. Well done. Well done. That's lovely. Thank That's you. Lovely. That's really good fun. I'm also involved in a, um, organization called Carbon Critical, which is based in Auckland. And my business partner, Jamie, and I were really interested in kind of entrepreneurial approaches to climate change and, and looking at how we can provide solutions that are, yeah, financially sustainable, but also do a really good job of averting or reducing emissions as well. And that's that's going to have some exciting things in the future, I'm sure, too. So new new technologies new inventions new creations well we'll see I, there's interesting a lot of the ideas we have at the moment resolve around uh like mixed species tree planting to try and essentially help convert land back to back to bush um but interested in ways if we can do it 
fostering native regeneration, but also using uh, hero crops like redwoods, which happen to grow really well in New Zealand and are these incredible trees which can live for thousands of years and sequester just ridiculous amounts of carbon, but uh, they're non-invasive and they don't come with the challenges of you know, of, of pine trees. So um, we feel like they could be a really cool... They're non-invasive? Non-invasive, no. no. Wow. And they are... Uh, they have a much longer lifespan, so they don't have the kind of short-term, yeah. um, you know, yeah, the yeah. will be sort of 150 years, whereas redwoods will live for three, 4,000 years in the right spot. So oh, I see. Yeah. And, not, and don't suppress the bush too much. And don't suppress the bush too much, as long as you use it more. And this is what we're interested in, these kind of sparser planting models where, you've, where you could grow totara or um, manuku and kanuku in between and, and, and let those other species flourish, um, whereas at the moment or, or previously the traditional model has always been monocultures of pine trees or yeah, Douglas yeah. firs or, or yeah. some redwoods, but redwoods are about 1% of the, the the forestry plantations in New Zealand at the moment, so a very, very small part. Have you seen that movie called Only Fools and Dreamers? Yes, he's incredible. He's incredible. Uh, I, went uh, his, I went around his land last summer. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. He's been very helpful. He actually had a chat with Jamie recently. He's really giving of his time and information and knowledge. Just been wonderful. Oh, is he? Yeah. But, I mean, what that is is you just let the bloody land get on with it, don't you? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and get rid of the worst of the weeds. Yes, yeah. indeed. And, and just that mind-blowing realisation that gorse can be the most amazing cover crop. Yeah, right? yeah. Native yeah, regeneration. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's yeah, amazing. yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think there's oh congratulations. Oh, you've got more to tell me. No, no, no. I was just going to say that's such a it's such a sensible approach, and to rather than sort of having dominion over the land to just let it do what it wants exactly. to do and just foster that exactly it's a really beautiful approach. Yeah, just nudge it away. Yeah, you've used the word dominion two or three times now. Yeah, that's what we've got to do. Yeah, stop exactly. trying to have dominion over it. Stop trying to have dominion yeah. over everything. Yes. <laughs> Well done. Well done. Thank you, James. Well, send, send me the links to those things, wouldn't you? Please? Yes, I will do, absolutely. And uh, I, I so, so appreciate your time today. And I, I look forward to, I'm, I'm definitely keen to have a chat to you again in the future. And I uh, would love to, to chat more. And yeah, I so appreciate all your um, generosity of spirit and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having this, this chat with you. Thanks so much, Andrew. I've really enjoyed meeting you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. I think for the for the <laughs> listeners there, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'll, I'll close off the recording there, um, but I'll make sure I put links in the show notes for where to get Plant Paradigm, the book, because I strongly encourage everyone to, to check that out. <laughs>